Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Turn Left. I am your host, Indiana's own Dana Black, coming to you live. Yes, all the way live from Black Girl Studios, where we talk about Indiana politics from the left side of things. I hope you guys are having, like, the most fantastic week ever, because if you are like me and you sit around and listen to the General Assembly, you have probably pulled all of your hair out. I mean, the level of hypocrisy that happens in our state house is astounding and it's unfortunate that we don't have people who who rep- the people who represent us don't even listen to us and unfortunately because they have a supermajority there are a lot of things that are happening that are just driving me crazy but i am going to share some good news before we we get started right uh the hamilton county reporter newspaper reports on tuesday the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, announced more than $113 million from President Biden's investment, investing in America's agenda for Indiana drinking water and clean water infrastructure upgrades. The funding is a part of more than a $50 billion investment in water infrastructure upgrades from the bipartisan infrastructure law. The funding will support essential water infrastructure that protects public health and treasured water bodies across the state. Almost half of this funding will be available as grants or principal forgiveness loans, ensuring funds reach underserved communities um, most in need of investments in water infrastructure. President Biden's investing in America's agenda continues to transform communities for the better with the latest infusion of funds for critical water infrastructure projects, EPA Administrator Michael S. Reagan said. With $50 billion in total, the largest investment in water infrastructure in our nation's history, EPA will enable communities across the nation to ensure safer drinking water for their residents and rebuild vital clean water infrastructure to protect public health for decades to come. See, some of y'all still still sitting around talking about what has Joe Biden done for me? He has now infused $113 million right here in Indiana for us to improve our water infrastructure. Now, the question is, will the Republicans at the state house who are in control of those dollars actually allocate them in the right way? Let's hope they do what they are supposed to do, because we've seen in previous years where they've passed. Let's clean up our lead pipes, you know, legislation. But at the same time, they passed a a piece of legislation this year that is going to actually endanger our wetlands. So. I'm not real sure how they're going to come out on this, but the EPA and the Biden administration, they are doing the things necessary to help us improve our water infrastructure. So y'all tip the hat to the prayers. He's doing his thing. I'm excited about that. Now, some other decent news. WFYI reports. Indianapolis's planned economic enhancement district or EED will not be repealed. HB 1199 put the funding tool at risk, but an amendment saved the district uh, with some caveats. The EED was approved by the Indianapolis City County Council last year after the 2023 legislation allowed to the move. It charges a fee for property owners in the Miles Square District to support public safety, beautification, and homelessness projects. It builds on efforts starting, starting 
excuse me, it builds on efforts started using federal relief dollars. Representative Julie McGuire authored the bill and said the city didn't need the tool. The bill passed it passed that Indiana House where apartment building owners spoke in favor of the repeal. An amendment passed in a Senate committee this week omits these owners, but allows them to opt into the district. Senator Andrea Hunley urged those owners to support the move. I'm hoping that the majority of multi-unit housing will choose to opt in and several that I've talked to seem to indicate that they would. The EED would provide about $5.5 million in revenue a year and is capped at the, that amount. It will also expire after 10 years and needs to be renewed. This, the district will support Indianapolis's first low barrier shelter for people experiencing homelessness. Senator Scott Baldwin of Noblesville helped, helped facilitate the amendment for us to move forward and to provide Indianapolis with a way to care for itself downtown, Baldwin said. Um, they To really think about how those services are being delivered, how we can be responsive to property owners and stakeholders and users of downtown 365 days a year, said CEO of Downtown Indy Inc. President, uh, CEO Taylor Schaefer. If Indianapolis believes that enhanced services provided with the ARPA funds are worthy to continue, they have the tools they need to provide this funding. So this is a good thing. Because you guys know, a couple weeks ago, I talked about how um, they want to legislate Indianapolis from the state house. Um, the Indianapolis City County Council took advantage of a tool that they were providing us and voted to put that money downtown in the Mile Square. Which, by the way, if you actually had a chance to be in Indianapolis this weekend, who doesn't live in Indianapolis, say that we didn't need those funds, uh, was terrible. But this also speaks to people who have a problem with Indianapolis or that they can't control Indianapolis the way they want to. But now we get to hold on to this and we can provide those improvements to our mile square. And that is a plus. So I did start off with some positive news. I like to do that from time to time, but I got to, you know, turn the tables a little bit. You know how I do statehousefile.com reports. In the House Roads and Transportation Committee on Tuesday, Senator Aaron Freeman spoke on his Senate Bill 52, which would prohibit the future development of dedicated lanes used for buses or other public transit along Washington Street until July 21st, 2025. After a three-hour meeting, the bill was held until next week. Freeman said dedicated lines provide no benefit to the, to the city. There were also 56 people from around the state not living in Indianapolis, who came to testify in support of and against dedicated lanes. Again, they don't even live here. Michael Solari, president of the Market Street Group, opposes SB 52 because he believes dedicated lanes with bus routes provide for better access to the city to enhance tourism. Annually, more than 28 million visitors come to our city for conventions, meetings, and events, just like we saw this past weekend with the NBA All-Star Game. And our visitors have come to appreciate the ease of navigating our central core and continuing hospitality or tourism workforce and residents. Others believe dedicated lanes help slow down traffic and prevent cars from striking pedestrians. Representative Ed Delaney testified as an Indianapolis resident and red line bus rider. Without question, this is a matter for local road experts to decide, not the state legislator, uh, Delaney said in a press release. Senate Bill 52 is yet another attempt for this body to overrule local units of government. Again, the residents of Indianapolis voted for the blue line. 
and they voted to have whatever the people said was the best way to increase um, rapid transit in Indianapolis. We need it. We got to have it. And here you have Aaron Freeman trying to legislate what happens in Indianapolis. This is this is this is a bad bill. So one of the best testimonies I heard while I was listening was from a young fellow who was in college and he was being questioned by the person, the speaker at the moment. And he was like, he was explaining how he had to wait 45 minutes for his regularly scheduled bus to arrive because of the extra people on the bus from this weekend. And he explained that it's not rapid if buses have to wait in traffic. It's not a rapid transit. So I want to thank him for standing up and speaking to this bill and all the people that showed up at the state house. You're, I don't know if they're going to listen because again, we don't have the votes to stop a bill like this because we haven't elected enough Democrats to the state house to prevent them from literally passing legislation that hurt our city, especially when people in the city actually voted for this legislation. So Aaron Freeman, you can kick rocks, bro, but I, I'm really bugged out about the way they continually deny uh, Indianapolis residents, our elected officials, the ability to govern the way we would want them to. Again, they're just mad that the economic hub of our entire state, please understand, a lot of these senators and representatives come from counties and districts where the, the counties in those districts are welfare counties. What do you mean by welfare counties, Dana? I mean, they are losing residents at such a clip that they are not raising enough tax revenue to cover their own bills. So they get money from places like Marion County, Allen County, Vandenberg County, and St. Joe County, right, to help offset and supplement the shortfall because they don't have enough residents to cover their expenses. But at the same time, they want to tell us how we can and we can't govern ourselves. That is problematic. That is, ugh, drives me nuts. But we got to do better. And if we just take the time to understand who is on our ballot and work to elect the right kind of people for our state, then maybe we can protect Indianapolis and other municipalities from overreach by uh, the legislators in the state house. Uh, and, and as my vice president of Indianapolis Stonewall mentioned last night, the political pendulum will swing the other way. They think that they will have complete and total control forever. They will not because they keep attacking humans. They keep attacking women. They keep, I don't, I've never seen where trans kids are such a problem or they're attacking um, the ability to have free speech. If you don't like it on campus, then you might not get your tenure. These are the things that they are fighting for. We are fighting for, hello, the infrastructure. We're trying to provide to make sure that people can get adequate healthcare. Those are the things that we're fighting for. Unfortunately, I don't know. These guys, maybe one day, maybe one day they will remember that they're supposed to represent the people. And if the people vote for a thing, let the people have the thing. But if they want to let Indiana continue to lag behind and Indianapolis being the shiny city within a state that's falling way, way behind, that's on them. Or if they want to continue to struggle to get the, the type of workforce that we need for a, a changing world because people are like, yeah, I'm not living there. I, I can work remote. Oh, I'm going to stay in California. I can work remote. Oh, I'm going to stay anywhere but it come to Indiana. And that's what's happening. So um, real talk. And I'm not even going to talk about Alabama and their, you know, embryo is a is a child thing. We're going we're gonna to leave. We're, I, I trust me, that bill is coming to Indiana soon because 
you know, it's not like Indiana, the Republicans here don't go to those same ALEC conferences and get those same ALEC bills. All right. And of course, it's Black History Month. I'm excited to bring to you another um, Black History moment. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about Jane Bolin. Jane Bolin was the first black woman graduate of Yale Law School and the first black female judge in the United States. Bolin was born in P Poughkeepsie, New York on April the 11th, 1908. From her earliest days in her father's law office, Bolin knew she wanted to be an attorney. She graduated from Wellesley College in 1928 and earned her law degree from Yale Law School in 1931. Bolin clerked in her father's law office until she passed the New York bar exam in 1932. She married fellow attorney Ralph Mizell a year later, and together they opened up a practice in New York City. In 1937, Bolin was named Assistant Corporate Corporation Counsel for the City of New York, serving on the Domestic Relations Court. Mayor LaGuardia appointed Jane Bolin judge of the Domestic Relations Court in 1939, where she served for 40 years. During her tenure with two other judges, she achieved two major changes. The assignment of probation officers to cases with, without regard of, to race and religion and a requirement that publicly funded private child care agencies accept children without regard to ethnic background. Judge Jane Bolin reluctantly retired in 1979 after reaching, my, the, reaching mandatory retirement age and went on to serve in the U New York State University Board of Regents, where she reviewed disciplinary cases. Bolin was also a member of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, the National Urban League, and the Child Welf Welfare League. Jane Bolin died on January 8th, 2007 in Queens, New York. She was 98 years old. I mean, you know, black women in law. Fonnie Willis, shout out to you. Uh, we doing the things, we've been doing the things. You put the barriers in front of us, we'll figure out how to knock them down and keep it moving. So for all you aspiring attorneys, just know, what does she have to go through going through Yale Law School? Uh, in the 1930s, 19, late 1920s, in the middle of a, 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 the Depression on top of all that, right? You can do it too. Keep your nose to the grind. Uh, if you need some positive energy to uplift you, reach out to Indiana's own because I got you. I got you because we, we can do all things if we put our mind to it. All right, that's my rant for tonight. Let's hear from my sponsor, Bones Unique Boutique. Today's show is brought to you by Bohm's Unique Boutique. Click on the QR code. And for all Turn Left listeners, you can get a 10% discount on your order by using the code DEMOCRAT. Be sure to visit www.bohmsuniqueboutique.com. Democrats, are you looking for an affordable content creation option? If so, look no further than Black Pearl IT Solutions and Black Pearl Studios. Indiana's own Dana Black is providing many of the communication wraparound services any Democratic organization needs. No matter the size of the budget, Indiana's own has you covered. Just scan the QR code or visit www.blackpearl-its.com. All right, all right. Yo, first of all, I owe everyone who's watching tonight an apology. Uh, if you are here to watch Hope Fussner on the show, I messed up. See, I'm I'm the producer, the content creator, the talent acquisitioner, all the things, and I did.
didn't verify her show. So we are going to have her on. We, I, I apologize. She apologized to me and she, I'm the one that messed up. She, so already I can tell I'm a like her. Right. And I was like, no, I owe you an apology. I did not confirm. That's my fault, but we will get her on. Um, and we will make sure that you guys can hear from her because she is down there in Vandenberg doing her thing. But tonight, is this going to be me and JB? Y'all give it up for my guest all the way from Bartholomew County, running for Bartholomew County Commissioner, Josh Burbring. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dana. I love it. So was there anything in my rant that you wanted to hit on or comment on or had any feelings on? Oh, you know, a little bit of everything. Just to give a heads up, I'm I'm with the fire department, so you know the tones drop. I'll probably have to end this call early, but uh, you know, appreciate you having me on this evening. I love it. Hey guys, in Bartholomew County, keep it cool tonight. We got your man's on our show telling us his story. Thank you. So you're a firefighter. You know what? Tell the people who you are and where you come from. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, well, um, you know, my my wife's a children's librarian at the the public library here in Bartholomew County, and I'm a new dad. Um, I live on a, a real small hobby farm here on the west side of town. You know, I have a variety of adopted rescue animals that keep us pretty busy. Um, you know, I have pit bulls, pigs, cats, chickens, about everything under the sun here. Uh, like I stated, I'm a, I'm a firefighter with Harrison Township Fire Department. Um, I'm an EMT fire firefighter. I do hazmat, ice rescue, search and rescue, you know, about everything there that I can. Uh, I'm also the uh, vice president of the Friends of the Library nonprofit board here in town. And just to shamelessly promote this, there's a Library After Dark fundraiser on March 23rd in town. We'd love to have everyone there. Um, it's going to directly benefit the summer reading program, so you can't beat that. And mm -hmm. then um, professionally, I'm a sales and marketing director for um, internet service provider. So trying to get fiber optic internet out there to the state using all of this uh, you know, infrastructure money that Biden gave us. I love it. So where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up here in Columbus. Um, I wasn't necessarily born here. I was born in Illinois. Don't hold it against me, but moved here when I was two. My entire family's from here. Um, you know, I'm on a different side of town now than what I, where I originally came from, but that's all right. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love Columbus. Absolutely love this town. I actually like Columbus too. I've been there so many times. And in fact, the Bartholomew County Democrats are like some of the best small town um, organizing machines. Uh, you know, you guys down there, I love visiting and chatting with uh, the, the Democrats down there. So, so what were some of your interests as a young person? What, what, what got you wanting to be a firefighter? Oh man, that, that was such a weird random story of how I decided to start doing that. I, I literally watched a movie and kind of got it in my head that I wanted to help in that capacity. You know, I've, I've always been pretty involved with various types of volunteer work through the church and just through growing up in general. Um, back during, you know, my twenties, I volunteered with a, a nonprofit called connected community partnership. They're no longer allowed around, but, you know, we did a lot of um, nonprofit work to support, um, you know, members of the community that couldn't afford a computer, kind of help them get get access to that and helping them. But, you know, I, I, um, I just randomly decided that I want to become a first responder one day. I, I called the fire department and they asked if I could come in because they had a meeting the next day. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I showed up to the meeting. They gave me a membership form. I filled it out and they're like, can you start next week? Uh, you know, our, our first training session's going on. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, within a week, I was in fire academy and I was learning how to do it. And it's been an absolute blast. It's a, it's a, a very interesting volunteer gig that I have. 
I love it. I love it. Have you, was there something in your childhood or something in your upbringing? Because you mentioned a lot of service. You're sitting on board. You want to help people with literacy. You want to help people get computers. You're a volunteer firefighter. What was it about, in, going on in your house that turned you into essentially a public servant um, before you even ran for office? What was going on there? Uh, you know, I'm not quite sure. I think I think just uh, my, my parents really really encouraged me when I was growing up to, to help, uh, you know, especially like I said, in the church, it's just kind of giving me that, you know, the heart of a servant, you know, I'm, I'm heart of a volunteer. And so, you know, I, I kind of like randomly find these opportunities in my community that have really big impact. It seems like in the last 10 years and, and firefighting was definitely one of them. And, and then getting into the local democratic party was the other big shift for me that I've sunk a ton of time into and it's extremely rewarding. And you know, it's, 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 how do I help this town? How do I help this community? I love it. I love it. Cause that serve you gotta be a servant in this work. If you in it, I tell people all the time, if you're in it because you think you look good on a poster, I don't want to hear that. Like there's enough, we got enough arrogant people. <laughs> we got enough arrogant people. So what did you know, or did you have an idea that one day you would want to run for office or was it after your work in the, with the democratic party, did you decide? You know, it's it's kind of the exact same way I got into the fire service. I, I randomly decided that I want to potentially get into politics. Uh, I called headquarters. They're like, hey, can you meet me tomorrow? I was like, sure. I met with some party members and they're like, hey, do you want to run for county council? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so they put me on the ballot. So, uh, you know, within a month I was campaigning after deciding that I wanted to do it. Okay, so, th so you ran, this is your second run? Because you're running for county commissioner now. Yeah, I'm running for commissioner now, and I ran for county council two years ago. Okay, dope. So this is not your first rodeo. We love that. So what are you? What are it, you... it still kind of is, but it's not right. Yeah, I love it. I, I actually I get excited when you know people don't um, aren't necessarily successful the first time around, but they don't give up, right? I mean, don't be like me. Don't one run one time and never do it again, right? Don't be like me. Don't be like me. <laughs> Keep trying. So, yeah, it's like I've told a few people, you know, I, you know, I'm definitely running in a red county in a lot of a lot of ways, but you got to make them work for it, right? And you got to fight for it. Absolutely. So, I mean, you're a firefighter. You're working on the library board, and now you're out canvassing and campaigning um, in your county. What are the things that you are seeing in Bartholomew County that aren't being addressed the way they need to be? It's a good question. I think, I think overall, with why I want to run. It's not necessarily because there's a, a, any one specific item I think that our, our current leadership is just completely failing on, but I'm, I'm worried about, you know, representation from the Democratic Party in our local government. I'm worried about, you know, the future of this county now that I have a daughter. Like, what, what is this town going to look like in 20 years? You know, how, how forward thinking we, are we looking at, especially with this, this weird shift in the Republican Party becoming more and more, you know, crazy really and and you know i want to make sure that we have sane rational political leaders in office in this town and so i i i don't have any particular beef with the you know the commissioner that i'm currently running against but i i want to get democrats in office and and i want to win okay and so um what are like the three main issues that you are running your campaign on i think the the, the first big item would be just county preparedness Right. I want to make sure that our, our public our public services are forward looking at this point. You know, the county commissioners, they control, you know, a lot of infrastructure They control our roads. They, they control our county buildings. 
Um, and I want to make sure that we're, we're paying our county employees what they need to get paid for them to stick around. You know, I, I think we've, we've had a pretty big retention issue in this county with our employees. And, you know, we, we, we've recently given them a little bit of pay rate, but I think our county employees definitely deserve a lot more. And so I want to do what I can when it comes to that. Um, I want to make sure, I, I think the biggest, biggest, biggest thing that comes to mind for me, though, is that the commissioners have a lot of control when it comes to board appointments, you know, commission appointments and committee appointments. And I think that just has an, a huge, huge impact on the community. Um, two years ago, when I was running for, for county council, I was at, you know, the, the library board meeting. So, and so I'm with the friends of the library, which is the nonprofit. So I'm not necessarily with the library board, but I'm with the nonprofit board. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when I was at the library board meeting, you know, there, there was a local church there and they were trying to get books banned, right? I mean, it was a pretty big issue two years ago and it continues to be a big issue today. Um, they, were, they were getting really vocal about it and, you know, I got, I got pissed. I started seeing red, you know, I, I stood up, supported the library. I, I did what I could while I was there, but it was just me and my father-in-law there. Um, you know, so I, I tried to activate the community in, in any way I can. We ended up having a couple of hundred people show up for the next library board meeting to support, you know, support the library in general. But I remember there was one particular board member there that was sympathetic to that church. She was sympathetic to getting the books out of there. And, and she kept using very derogatory terms towards the LGBT community. And, you know, it, it definitely didn't help me see in red at that meeting. And I, and I kind of found out that she was a commissioner appointed board member. Mm. And so, you know, I started looking to see what it would take to get her removed, right? Like, how, like, how is this acceptable in general? You know, why, why do you have a library board meeting that a uh, board member that doesn't want books, right? Like it was just madness to me. So, you know, I started looking into it more, you know, that term ended though. We got a new library board member in there that the, the commissioners appointed that, you know, so far looks like he's going to be good, but you know, I'm, I'm just, forward thinking here, right? You gotta, you gotta make sure we have better representation with these county governments and, and these board member appointments are, are super important. You know, we wanna make sure that those high impact positions are filled with the right people. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I want to I want to go back to um, what you the, the first thing you're talking about uh, when it talk, you talked about em county employees getting paid and that retention yep. issue that you have. I mean, there's a my partner, Nicole, often mentions, um, you know, uh, continuity, continuity of institutional knowledge. And if you don't have like people who stay for a little while to make sure that knowledge stays there so that you understand what has happened and what could happen and you're constantly turning over that is going to like it's going to put a wrinkle in your preparedness preparedness plan. Did you automatically or did was there like a, a for you a line drawn as you were thinking about that in the preparedness and how to prevent the county from being prepared and saw that, oh, employee intention was one of those things? Retention, employee retention. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I was talking to some county employees about it two years ago. And, and the thing that kept coming up is just that that institutional knowledge that will be lost when you have this high turnover or when you have some of these older county employees that are getting ready to retire, you know, you know, it's not a, a super desirable job anymore to have a, a county government job. Right. And, and a lot of it has to come into the pay. And so we have some, you know, some people that have been around forever. They know so much, but they don't necessarily have the right people to pass that knowledge onto. And so when they retire, that knowledge goes away and, and that's going to have a big impact on this community.
Yeah. And so did your did your work as a firefighter help you think about um, preparedness? Is that I mean, because obviously you guys do, you know, trainings and and how to, you know, be be ready for uh, an emergency. But is that kind of also where you got that preparedness? I Because I like that because I never heard that before. So I got more questions about well, what does it mean to be prepared? Yeah, yeah. Now, preparedness is a great topic. It's something that I, I, I absolutely um, love to think about. You know, I have a friend of the National Guard, and that's what he does all day is just, you know, he works with how to how to prepare Indiana and, and how to make sure, you know, we can survive if there's anything crazy that happens with the state. And so, you know, I, I grew up with a Boy Scout, right? I was in Boy Scouts um, it, as young as I can remember, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, and, you know, they're always about be prepared, right? And so I think a lot of those lessons have, have, have pushed forward with me and, and I kind of keep in the back of my mind. But, you know, when it, when it comes to, you know, the county in particular, you know, the, the county commissioners are directly involved with our emergency management and disaster response. And so it, it is, a, you know, it's an important part of this role. And, and it is another thing that I'm just really interested about. I mean, one thing that I'm, I'm really hoping to start here soon is we don't have a strong community, uh, community emergency response team presence in this county. And that's something I would love to work on. And so what that's called is a, it's a CERT team, again, a community emergency response team. And that's where you kind of get together civilians that want to help with disaster response, but aren't, you know, law enforcement officers. They're not firefighters. They're just, you know, something bad happens and they want to help, right? And that's mm -hmm. where these CERT teams really come into play and you, you provide them, you know, the first aid training, you provide them the disaster response training and make sure they have what they need to take care of themselves and their neighbors. And I think that type of um, you know, solidarity with your neighbors and that type of response is it just goes a really, really long way. I like that because I, I I never heard of anything like that. I mean, but I'm not in the I'm not a first responder by any stretch of the I'm the chick that's running away from danger. Because as soon as I see it, I'm, <laughs> I, I know who I am, right? And so, um, so is the the county commissioner the county commissioners would be able to kind of implement that plan and then work with the county council to for the budgeting, or how how would that work? So, with the community emergency response teams, anyone can form those, and so that's why I'm looking at it from a personal aspect. I'd love to kind of get that program going. But yeah, in general, the county commissioners and the council, they control, you know, the, the 911 dispatch, they control, you know, all of our emergency uh, management parts of our government. So you know, I'd be real interested to learn more about um, some of the high level plans that our county has and, and how I can help develop that if I get elected. I love that. I love that. Indiana's own Dana Black. We are talking to Josh Burbrink, who is running for Bartholomew County Commissioner. And if you guys like what he's talking about, please click, click on the donate link so you can donate to his campaign. Um, Y'all know how much I love to help Democrats as much as I can. So let's turn this into a fundraiser. Click on the link. $5. Become a $5 recurring donor. Become a $10 recurring donor and help him uh, win this election and bring real representation to Bartholomew County. So when you're out campaigning, Obviously, you're having conversations with constituents and things of that nature. And you've mentioned it a couple of times that you've talked to um, county uh, uh, employees and you're at, you know, uh, library board meetings. As you're talking to the community, what are some of the things that they are telling you they would like, you know, you to work on? I know that you said the things that you want to work on, but what have they told you that they, they, that they want you to work on? That's a good question. I think, I think the most surprising thing that I learned 
when I was going campaigning door to door wasn't necessarily something that I could help fix for them. They didn't exactly want a specific issue resolved. I think, I think the, the most interesting thing about my talks with people going door to door is they were excited. There was a Democrat at their door talking to them. Love it. And I think, especially out in my county where I'm from, you know, they don't, they don't get that a lot. They feel, and they feel isolated. I feel like they don't have neighbors that are Democrats and they don't have, you know, a lot of representation there. And so I would talk to them like, no, like I've talked to 30 Democrats in this neighborhood today, right? We're, we're out here and, and, you know, we got to get involved and we got to see what we can do to, to really get better representation on local government. I, I think that was the, the biggest takeaway for me when I campaigned two years ago is they were just excited there was a Democrat at their door. I love it. And you can carry that momentum forward. And plus, since they see you in the community, I tell people all the time, don't wait until it's election to show up in your community. Show up before your, your name is on the ballot. <laughs> show up in these community meetings, Absolutely. you know, and, and, and make yourself known and talk about the issues so you get a name for yourself. So, you know, there's the county commissioner. Again, it's not one of those glamorous positions. That's why I was really excited. I, that I was, thought I was going to have both you and Hope on so we could just talk. We can just county commissioner down. What are other some of the other responsibilities of the county commissioner that we should be aware of? I love that you talked about that you are um, appointing boards, uh, board members for um, seats like the library board. But what other role does the county commissioner have? Yeah, so I mean, it, they're the essentially they're the um, you know they're, they're like the mayor of the county, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the city has their mayor, the city has their city council. Um, when it comes to the larger county, the whole the commissioners um, kind of fulfill that role. So they're the, the executive and the legislative branch of the county. And, and what that kind of really boils down to is they, they control a lot of the county policies, they control, uh, or at least they oversee all of the county owned properties and facilities like the jail, you know, the government building. Um, you know, I, I've touched base before on, on when it comes to emergency management, disaster response, you know, health and safety. And then they also kind of help maintain, you know, county infrastructure. They pay our county engineer to make sure our roads are, are being maintained. And, you know, I, I think that's one interesting thing being driving around, right? You definitely, uh, you, you notice those potholes. And so, um, you know, that, that county infrastructure, especially out like in the far, far reaches of this county where it starts turning into gravel roads, um, you know, that's, that's part of what these commissioners help, um, you know, maintain and, and take care of. And and see, those are so nuts and bolts things. They're not they're not flashy or glamorous, but it's like if you're driving in Bartholomew County, you don't want to have to change a tire in the middle of the night. <laughs> you, you just don't. That's right. So let me ask you. Um, so Columbus is the um, the economic center of the county. We could we could agree to that, right? I would say so. Yes. Okay. So what what will it be like? Tell me what will it be like to um, have to work with. Um, the city, how does the county work with the city or how do you plan or what are some of your goals to work with the city to, um, um, exp you know, to uh, obviously because Columbus is in Bartholomew County, there's still some functionality that goes on in there. But how do you guys plan on working together? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a good relationship with some of the, the current, um, you know, city council board members right now. You know, we, we got a, we got a lot of Democrats in office with the city right now. So uh, I think it'll be easy to kind of talk back and forth on, on some of these joint issues that, you know, both the, uh, the county and the city have to work together. Um, 
you know, when I was kind of looking through and, and, and doing a lot of my research about the commissioner position and, and how it interacts with the county as a whole, I think it's, it, I still need to do some research. It's, it's such a important position to the county. And, I, and I'm, I think the main thing that I'm really trying to figure out is just how some of these decisions really influence the future. And so I've been kind of going over old board meeting minutes. I've been going over, you know, past legislation that the county's passed. And I, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to learning more about, you know, how do, how do you take this role and how do you craft the future with it, right? And, and the city of Columbus and the county will definitely need to work hand in hand when it comes to that. I like the way you're thinking because, um, you know, a lot of people, I talk to a lot of candidates and they know they want to run for office and they've decided to run for a office. And I always ask them, how can they use that position in, in that, that seat to make changes? And I love that you answered it. I want to see how these policies are impacting the future, right? Because it's not just about now, right? County commissioner is a unique position. Like Indianapolis, our county commissioners are the county treasurer, the county auditor, and I think the recorder. It's not the recorder, the clerk. So because of UNIGOV, like it's not a, a, a it's not a separate separate governing body. If you are elected as one of those county seats, then you're a county commissioner. Like we, we, we I mean, they, they just dog Indianapolis out. I'm, I'm gonna get out my feelings here in just a minute, but they just be dogging us out. <laughs> you know, we we're the do you And you know, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think the, you know, the big thing that I just try to keep in the back of my mind, right, is I, I don't plan on leaving this town. I absolutely love Columbus. And, you know, I'm going to be raising my daughter in this county, right? So what is my hometown going to look like in 20 years? And I want to have, a, you know, a direct voice on how that's shaped. So what, wh- why do you love Columbus? Why do you love Bartholomew County and, and Columbus, Indiana? Why do you love it so much? I know you said you're out in the county now, but what what is it that you love? Yeah, it, it's... And it, it just, it would have to be the people in it, right? I mean, that's really what it boils down to. The amount of people that I know in this town that are just absolutely great people. And, and the people that I tend to hang out with are the ones that directly work with the public. They're out there helping everyone else out. And I think Columbus and the county in general is, is just really cool. Like that. It, really hard to explain why you love your hometown, right? It's just your heart. Um, yeah, and so, but definitely the people is what makes makes a large part of that. And that's the thing. I, I'm glad to hear that you know your goal and desire is that you want to fix your home. You want, I mean, literally, that's why I'm Indiana's own. You know, Indiana is my home, and there's 92 counties that need some help, and I'm claiming it. I'm claiming it. So you talked about. And we appreciate um, you for that, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm. There's so much that we can do to, you know, you talk about thinking about the future and that's why I get so frustrated with the state house because they keep wanting to go backwards. Right. You talk about the future and your daughter. Um, t- describe for us like the future that you see for your daughter. What do you see? Um, where do you see your daughter? What, what do you hope she's able to accomplish with with very few barriers? What are you hoping um, the, the world is like for her? That's a really, really interesting question. I think the the best answer I have to that is whatever she wants to do, right? I don't want her to be held back by the BS that the world has and tries to throw at you, right? So that, that would probably be the best answer I have as far as that is. I want her to be able to achieve whatever she wants to achieve. That is probably the best answer. Like, I I agree with that. And I love, I love girl dads. Girl dads are like, 
you know, not, nothing wrong with you boy dads, but but girl dads are dope. I, I <laughs> you know, the fathers with daughters, they they tend to be a, a, a little bit more. Um, they, they're just different. So tell us something else about uh, your campaign and how we can help you with your election. You know, I, I tried to do the research on this before this before this, and I, I couldn't find the exact quote, or the, the exact statistics. But I, I thought it was real interesting when you look at a just a, a cross section of the United States, the amount of people that go and vote, right? And so, you know, I don't know what the exact number is right now, but it's it's definitely nowhere near 100, oh, percent right? And so you, you kind of you boil that down, right? And so now you only have a certain amount of the nation that votes, and then out of the certain amount of the nation that votes. You know, during the presidential election, it goes down even further for the ones that go and vote at, you know, the rest of the elections that happen every year, right? And so then that's only a certain amount of people. And then you take that, you can boil it down any further. There's only a certain amount of people that, you know, donate to a political campaign each year or in general. And, and you know, the number gets smaller. And then the number gets smaller from there for people that, you know, have ever gone out and canvassed before or volunteered with the party. And then you boil that down even further for people that have decided they want to run for something and they want to put themselves out there and run for office. And so I guess the, the biggest thing that I can ask for for everyone is, is how can you, you know, be part of that small number of people that, that really has a huge impact and that goes out there and helps, right? And, and you can only do what you can do, and I definitely understand that, but, you know, it, it takes a very special type of person to be involved and to even listen to this podcast, right? It, it's, it's, it's very cool. So people just need to go out there and they need to vote. They need to go out there and donate if they can. And, you know, if they're interested in running, go out there and run. I love it. I love it. And do you have um, any, have, what was the best piece of advice you have received since you decided to run for office a second time? Hmm. Probably start early and uh, hit it hard, right? And that's what I'm planning on doing. Um, as much as possible, going out there, knocking on doors and talking to people. Um, you, it's never too early to start in the campaign um, season for sure. But um, the, other, the other part of advice I've really received is just, you know, listen to see what everyone has to say when you go and talk to them and, and you know, see what you can do to help them. And uh, you know, that's definitely something I'm going to keep in the back of my mind when I'm out there going knocking on doors. Well, and you have a leg up and, and a lot of people don't even recognize that, that you have a leg up in that you are a volunteer firefighter. So you know your community and they know you. They already knew you and already liked you. And they probably don't care if, that you have a D behind your name. I know a lot of folks get all intimidated when they're in some of our rural areas and they're like, oh, you're Democrats. I'm scared. And I'm like, whatever. But like they know you. Right. And so um, I'm certain that that's kind of like translated over into those some positive conversations in, out there while you're knocking doors. Right. You know, it's 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 funny because I'll end up in these weird social circles with people that have the exact opposite political views as I do. And, you know, it, it occasionally happens. And it's just funny when we when you just it, it, I'm so quick to find that middle ground. I'm real quick to point out the things that we have in common and not the things that we have different. And, you know, I, I think people just need to realize that a lot more is, you know, we're all in this together. We all have real, real similar views on, on how this world needs to go. Um, just because there's an R or the D in your name, you know, it doesn't mean you should count someone out, um, you know, especially when it comes to um, me, right? Definitely vote for Burbank. That's, uh, that's for sure. I love it. I love it. You know, um, 
one of the uh, nicest things that happens when when I when I knock doors, like you said earlier, you know, talking about how they didn't know that the Democrats were in the community. One of the things I I, I loved was when I knock on a door and a person said, I've never had a politician knock on my door. And and this guy, the person I ran against had been in office for 30 years. Are you start are you seeing that where they're like, I've never even had a, a politician knock on my door before? Oh yeah, I, I had a lot of that. And and one thing I really tried to do um, two years ago is whenever I would talk to someone, uh, I would go home and I would make sure I wrote down their name and I would write down the name of their pet. And I would, at home, I wrote a postcard to every person that I talked to and I addressed the postcard to themselves and to their pet. And so I, I hope I hope people got those postcards and and uh, went out there and voted for me. And I, I think uh, that, was a, that was a really tough thing to do, but I'm really glad I did it. I like that idea. The, all the, all, listen, all you politicians out there, learn the names of the pets. I mean, because, hey, if you're taking that much time uh, to learn. All right, let, I want to go back to the uh, infrastructure uh, conversation I talked about a little bit earlier. So we're going to dig just a little bit into some policy. You know, we are seeing all over our state where uh, we have uh, bad pipes. <laughs> and... We haven't, as a nation and as a state, um, done the work that we needed to do. How do you feel like this $113 million is is going to be impactful to Bartholomew County? You know, I I, I, I would say that, you know, I, I want to give you an easy answer there, Dana, but I've not done the research. And I think when it comes to public policy, especially when we start looking at millions of dollars, you know, you need to really defer to the experts and you got to do your research. And I've not done that. So I can't give you a straight answer. I appreciate uh, that. We definitely want to make sure. Yeah, I really want to make sure the money's getting spent the right way. And I want to make sure it's going to be, you know, helping out the right people. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about that. I love it. I love it. Indiana's own Dana Black, uh, turn left. We are talking to Josh Burbrink, who is running for county commissioner in Bartholomew County. So, Josh, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, VoteBurbrink.com. That's where I'm at. Um, you can find my Act Blue link. You can find my Facebook link. Um, I think I even got my my email address, and my telephone number there listed there. So, shoot me a text, shoot me an email, um, donate, and then I'm hoping to get a portal open here soon for anyone who feels like volunteering to um, get involved and and see what you can do to help. And do you have any events coming up, like fundraisers, anything like that? Um, not for myself, no. Um, that will be in the works here. Uh, we're trying to find another uh, commissioner's candidate run in District 3. I keep harassing my uncle, John Burbrink, to run. I think it would make a, a you know, real nice uh, T-shirts and signs. will make it real easy that just says vote Burbrink for commissioner. So we'll see what I can do to make that happen. I love it. I love it. That You know what? I talk about tandem fundraising and tandem work all the time at Act Blue. And to hear you come up with, you done hatched a whole plan where the two of y'all can run together, <laughs> work together, raise together. That's dope. I love every minute of it. Uh, so I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I know I was supposed to have another guest with, with, with us tonight. Unfortunately, we did not. Again, if you tuned in to, to listen to Hope, I apologize. But I thank you so much, Josh, for joining us. And I wish you all the best luck in the world. Knock him out and tell my folks down in Bartholomew County I'll be down there soon because it's almost time to do some more training. And Dana, if you don't mind, I, got, I just got a last last thing I'd like to throw out there. Absolutely. And it was just a, a quote that I, 
it's a quote that I keep in the back of my mind um, every day, every day since I've seen this movie. And the movie is from Waking Life. And there was a quote in it that really stuck with me. In it. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to say it real quick. And Absolutely. Take it's, your time. Uh, you know, are you a dreamer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you a dreamer? Um, our planet is facing the greatest problems it's ever faced, ever. So whatever you do, don't be bored. This is absolutely the most exciting time we could have possibly have hoped to be alive. I think they're just starting. I love it. I love it. And things are just starting, right? We we can't look at the opportunity times. We have an opportunity to move everything in the correct direction, right? Uh, we can't get the thing that 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 makes me nervous are when people talk about how scared they are, but they they don't want to do any of the things that are necessary to make themselves not be scared. And the things that are making them scared, we can actually change. It, it's not it's not fixed. I mean, organizations all over the country and all over the state have made it easy for you to volunteer, have made it easy for you to donate. It's made it, it almost helped. They train you and give you all the tools you need to be a good candidate, campaign manager, finance, compliance person, the whole nine, like all of these tools are out here for anyone who feels compelled enough to not just complain about the situation, but to actually get involved and make the change. So I, I love that poem that you just read. That was so incredibly awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in. I mean, thank you for joining me tonight. I appreciate you. Now, we made it so that the fire people didn't have to come get you. So uh, you're off the hook. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in, man. I, I love it. Um, and let me know what I can do to help you out in the future. You have a fantastic night. Thanks, Dana. Thank you all. All right. Y'all, woo, we have candidates all over just like that who are running for office and doing the best they can to um, keep themselves involved and, and be good stewards of, of our communities. A firefighter, the library board, showing up at libraries and being like, uh-uh, this bigot gotta go. Those are the type of fighters that we need. And it's still time for you to get involved. Find a candidate that you wanna support, find a candidate that you believe in, Find an organization that you can get down with because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, my final thoughts for the night. Can I just talk about, I mean, I mentioned it a couple of times in my rant, but I just want to talk about how grateful I am for the people who work in Indiana Pacers sports and entertainment and the convention center people and all the people that put the work in to bring the amazing events that come and show up in Indianapolis. I know the weather. I mean, I thought it was ironic that the weather showed up on February, the the Friday before festivities kicked off and we had the snow and the ice and the cold. But I got to say this, and I, I, I hope you all don't take this the wrong way, as I mentioned it a couple of times um, over the weekend. I feel like the divine is looking out for us. Um, if you remember in the Super Bowl year, it was 60 degrees in February. Do y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? It was 60 degrees the year that we hosted the Super Bowl. This year, the weather was ridiculous outside. It, the snow came. It was freezing cold. So you really didn't want to be outside. But when I think about what happened in Kansas City just the days before the event coming to Indianapolis, um, I wasn't mad at all about that extra cold weather. I know some people complained and were like, you know, never have an NBA All-Star game in Indianapolis. I beg to differ. If we have an NBA team, they should be wherever the NBA teams are, right? 
But that cold might have been something that, that we needed to make sure that everyone who attended the All-Star Weekend festivities were safe. Because if you know, if you remember, Indiana has a constitutional carry. And you don't have to, you don't have to have a permit. You can walk around with your gun wherever you want. And voila. And I was kind of happy that it was so cold that people may not have wanted to come downtown. They may not have wanted to be in, in the sniper mode. They may not have wanted to stand out in a space where they were going to just cause some harm because there was, you know, thousands of people uh, in Indianapolis and ruin what was an amazing event. So I, I think I, I'm not upset at the cold because Kansas City Chiefs couldn't even celebrate their win. They couldn't even celebrate their win without folks acting ugly. And so to that, I'm going to say shout out to the divine for giving us 12 degree weather, but keeping us safe. And to the folks who came up with the LED floor, y'all, that was dope. And had the LED wristbands so that the whole stadium lit up at the same time. Um, shout out to Trinity Haven, who uh, gave me a couple of tickets uh, that from a grant we won. I, I was so super excited to get to go to my very first All-Star anything. And I took my homie. And because Nicole says don't invite her to no basketball, nothing. So I didn't. Um, but Indianapolis is a world-class leader in how to put on events. Indianapolis brings in millions of dollars every year. And all those, all those dollars go to help improve the quality of life in Indianapolis. I don't know if the state house is jealous of what we get to do in Indianapolis. I don't know if they feel like they don't feel the benefits of what we do in Indianapolis because they do. But what we do in Indianapolis is, is good stuff. And yes, it was cold, but it was a banging all-star weekend. And considering we were supposed to have it in 21 and we got pushed back to 24, Yo, I'm glad. Like, everything worked out exactly the way it was supposed to. I'm super proud of my city for showing up and showing out. Um, it was great to see all the the Hoosier legends in town. You know, Larry Bird was here. Isaiah Thomas was here. Of course, Reggie was here. Um, and then we celebrated our young guns and Ty Tyrese Halliburton. I know this has nothing to do with politics, but it really does. Because even getting the all-star game here took some policy. Right. It took somebody passing legislation to say, hey, let's build Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Let's budget for it. It took some some policy to say, let's ex expand the convention center and build Lucas Oil Stadium. It took policy to make sure that the roads and the streets and the infrastructure were all in place to allow these things to come together. It to everything we do is about policy. So if you enjoy having these spectacular events, in Indianapolis, then we need to make sure that we don't have people in the state house trying to undermine the good work that we are doing. So please find a candidate who's running for the state house or the state senate and at all levels of government, but that, that so that we can keep moving Indiana forward through, through our shining star 
which is Indianapolis. And I know some folks all over the state are going to be like, really, Dana? That's all you got? But listen, if Indianapolis gets something, that means Fort Wayne will get something. That means uh, uh, South Bend will get something. That means Evansville could get something because we are building this up. So let's let's continue to work um, to bring people in who are going to write good policies to keep moving our city and state forward. I want to thank my guest, Josh Burbrink, for hanging out with me. It was just me and him. Uh, but in the meantime, I got a full slate of guests for next week. I'm excited about all the candidates. We are booked out until the primary. I am ready to get these people hyped up and get them elected. Continue to click on the donate button so that people know that if you come on turn left, you're going to receive some funds. So go ahead and please donate to our candidates tonight. And in the meantime, I will holler at you next week. Peace. Turn Left is the property of Black Pearl IT Solutions. Executive producer, Indiana's own Dana Black. Music by www.binsound.com.